Well, this week, I'm, I'm, uh, I couldn't finish last week because it was just way too much awesome content. And uh, this, this kind of journey through the book of Acts is surprising me. I like it. It's, it's different. And when was the last time anybody here ever went to Sunday school? When you can't answer that because that was like months ago. <laughs> but when was the last time you went to Sunday school, did the weekly learning your Bible study, going through all the books, and all that traditional, it has value, stuff uh, that we just don't do anymore. So we assume everybody knows the stories. We assume you remember the details, and we just don't. So we're so used to the primary stories, like, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ, the Christmas story, how exciting, and, you know, those things. We remember those ones, Jesus walking on water, that one's really cool. We remember all the good stuff. But we hardly ever hear about the early church. What happened after the cross? And so the last four weeks, uh, we've been kind of looking at the scriptures and, and what does the story say in the book of Acts? And uh, it's been really slow on the front end, but we are going to pick up speed momentum as we go because we'll never get through it all if I go at this pace. So I'm aware of that, okay? I know that. So let's dig into some fun stuff. Here's how we ended last week. Peter had this crazy boldness that hit him. You do remember, he ran like crazy. He hid. He denied Jesus. He would not admit he was with them. And uh, all that passion and fear Oh, one big mess. And then something happened after he was restored. Jesus restored him personally. He saw his Christ who died risen. You can't make this stuff up. You know, this changed him completely. Has there ever been a time when a piece of information that was incomplete suddenly got fixed or completed and you went, I never knew that. You know, it's, it's like that. that it, it, you can't undo or unlearn or unhear or have something unrevealed that has been revealed to you. It's there. It can, you can forget, but it can't be unrevealed. And here he has this boldness saying, he starts to tell the story of, folks, here's what's been going on, tells the story. And we did that one already, so let's go through this one. So he's now speaking um, uh, to this group that he's talking to. He says, This man's destiny was prearranged, for God knew that Jesus would be handed over to you to be crucified, and that you would execute him. This is important that in all the translations, it implies at some point, however they word it, you killed Jesus. You executed him. Not God. You, man. And so by the time we're done the chapter, there's a remorse that hits. So we are going to get to that today. But he says, this is that you would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. It was all part of his predetermined plan. Where did this predetermined plan come from? It came from the prophets, from the Old Testament. Some people like to throw out the Old Testament right now. There's a trend moving towards, ah, you know, it's Old Covenant. It was never written to us, blah, blah, blah. Hang on. God used that group of people to reveal himself to us. Learn from it. No matter how complete or incomplete it may be, it doesn't contain the entire revelation of God. New Testament doesn't either. You do know that, right? <laughs> There's much more, much more that reveals the glory of God. 
It's, it's beautiful. So here he goes back to one of the prophecies coming from David. David was the big, you know, the son of David. Well, that's what they call Jesus, son of David. From the lineage of David, they knew the Messiah would come. And so we're going to take a look at the Psalm 16 in just a second, because that is what Peter is referring to. He said, God destroyed the cords of death and raised him up. I love this wording. God destroyed the cords of death, okay, and raised him up because it was impossible for death's power to hold him prisoner. He beat up death, submitted to death, and God the Father raised him back up and he conquered death. We need not fear death. There's good news on the other side. It's really important to remember that. This is the very thing David prophesied about him. Now, let's take a look at what this prophecy from Psalm 16, 16 verses 8 to 11 is. This is like 3,000 years ago, okay? He writes, Because you are close to me and always available, my confidence will never be shaken. This is David writing. David is seeing, believing, conceiving that God is close. How many times do we think God's far away? He feels so far. He's absent. He left me alone. We talk like that. That's not Jesus talk. That's humanity talk. All right? That's a, a dualistic thinking of near, far. God's near when we're good and far when we're bad. It's, it's the wrong message and unbiblical. So here he says, because you're close to me and always available. You need some encouragement today? to know that God has not abandoned you or forsaken you. He keeps going, my confidence will never be shaken, for I experience your wraparound presence every moment. Ooh, wraparound presence. Take a look at this here, Psalm 16. So for, I don't know if they were done in order. I kind of doubt it. Doesn't matter. But if there's like 150 of these writings, and he says, um, my confidence will never be shaken. I experience your wrapped around presence every moment. And we're all, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, but read the other ones too. God, where the heck are you? I can't believe it. Hey, that guy's trying to get me. Can you slit his throat? Can you just wreck his whole family? You know, destroy his whole family lineage. Ah! But I will still serve you. I will still trust you. That's what, that's what half of the Psalms are. When there's a woeful cry for help, David had the freedom, because this was true, true, he had the freedom to vent, and if he didn't feel God was close, he put into words, into song, you, don't, you feel far away from me. By the time he comes back to the bottom uh, of the completion, he says, example, Psalm 39 says, Lord, uh, remind me that my days are numbered, that my life is fleeing away. Remind me that my, the, my life is no longer than the width of your hand. A lifetime is only moments to you. Human breath is just a mere existence. And so, Lord, we, we heap up wealth for somebody else to spend. So where, where do I put my hope? And he ends the psalm by saying, my only hope is in you. Freedom to express to be honest with our feelings, all right? You need permission to have freedom to feel all the emotions. We don't live from our feelings. Our feelings are telling us what's going on in our heads. And all of our concerns, what we're focusing on, comes out in our feelings. But our feelings may or may not be true. But it is true of how you're feeling. Okay, it's your experience. So, David... 
has given us the greatest gift of being honest, trusting that God can handle it. And God brought his mind back to truth. My heart and soul explode with joy, full of glory. Even my body will rest confident and secure. How many believers aren't feeling confident or secure? There are so many insecure people who call themselves Christians. They don't know who they are in Christ. They're still thinking conditionally minded. It's conditional on my repentance, my prayer, my words. Did I beg for forgiveness? Ooh, did I beg again? Do I have to stay forgiven up? What, what, how does that work? Like, this mentality, know who you are, know who is in you, and then learn how to live from your union. This is the good news. And Peter's declaring good news to everyone. Now, has he fully formed all of his theology? No. We're getting the right after the cross stuff. So this is inspired by God. God gave him words to share because that's what they needed at that time. For you will not abandon me <laughs> to the realm of death, nor will you allow your Holy One to experience corruption. For you bring me a continual revelation of resurrection life, the path to the bliss that brings me face to face with you. Wow, this is, this is like 3,000 years ago. This is like super song, <laughs> really good news. And Peter's referring to this when he's speaking. And then in verse 29, chapter 2, he says, My fellow Jews, I can tell you there is no doubt that our noted patriarch, David, okay, has both died and been buried in his tomb, which remains to this day. See just down the street to the left there, that, that one shiny spot, that, that's his tomb. He's in there right now. He is not the Messiah, is what he's trying to say. But he is the lineage. The Messiah is the lineage from him. So you can see that he was not referring to himself with those words. So the words we just read... He was not saying about himself, David, and yet he was. There was some identity thing going on with David. He knew something about a confidence in God that very few people seem to have had. God had given him an insight to be able to write like he does. What a gift. So obviously there's more. It was referring to what was coming. So this is pretty cool. Uh, uh, my fellow Jews, I can tell you there's no doubt that our noted patriarch David has both died and been buried in his tomb, which remains to this day. So you can see that he was not referring to himself with those words, but as a prophet, he knew God's faithful promise. There you go. How many of us know God's faithful promises? Do you really know or you just guess or hope? I hope. I meet a lot of people who are dying and they say, I hope I make it. Oh my goodness. That's a tough time if you're that scared thinking you hope you make it. <laughs> Guess what? It's not up to you. It's not up to you. It gets better. Uh, I keep forgetting where I am here. Okay, back up here. So you can see that he was not referring to himself those words, but as a prophet, he knew God's faithful promise. Made with God's unbreakable oath, that one of his descendants would take his throne. That's what David was doing. And who was that descendant? Jesus, a direct descendant of David. 
All through the Old Testament are these, these kind of cool prophecies. So when peering into the future, David prophesied of the Messiah's resurrection. And God revealed to him that the Messiah would not be abandoned to the realm of death, nor would his body experience decay. This is where Psalm 22 comes in. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That verse, when Jesus says that off the cross, too many sermons have been preached that God turned his back on Jesus and abandoned Jesus because they read it flat. They read it in English, not looking at history, where else it could be referring to. God did not abandon his son. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not, it does not say, and God was in Christ reconciling those who say the right prayer at the right time in the right denomination. Those all reconcile. If it's not you, sucks to be you, and bingo. That's, that's not what it says. God was in Christ. And where did the reconciliation take place? At the cross. That's where it happened. So God was in Christ at the cross. Did not abandon him, can't be abandoned. Trinity cannot be separated. Do you ever think about that? How do you separate that? It can't, because then they cease to be Trinity. Well, then everything else changes. Like, seriously, the, den- the domino effects of questions? <sighs> it's actually much simpler than we've been told. Much. Click. Verse 32. Can't you see it? God has resurrected Jesus, and we have all seen him. We are all witnesses to the resurrection is what he's saying. All those, they were, they were surrounded with people. Remember, the, the start of the story is the Holy Spirit coming in with a big, mighty, scary wind. Everybody in town heard it and came running. This, that's the kind of wind sound. <laughs> what the hell is that? And the fire came and, and then rested on people's heads. This is what he's talking about right after that. He says, we have seen Jesus. He's declaring as witnesses, and they all stood together. All 12 apostles, the new one that got replaced because of Judas, you know, that, he was there too, plus about 120 others. Like this, just, they were declaring, we have seen Jesus. Now, everyone in Israel can know for certain that Jesus, whom you crucified, is the one God has made both Lord and Messiah. Throw that dig in there again. (laughs) And he had to. Too many sermons have been taught, and I've I've done it, unfortunately. I said, God killed Jesus. Oh, there my wrath's taken care of. Phew. I feel better now, God says. No. What kind of God is that? And can you really trust that kind of a God? No. It means there's something we don't know yet, or we're not made aware of, or it's an incomplete revelation of the goodness of God that's been provided to us. Look for an expanded understanding, folks. There's more good news than what we have been told. The gospel is simpler than what we have been told. It should bring joy, not fear. Not once in this sermon. Turn or burn. Doesn't happen. There's the hellfire. (laughs) 
That's not at all the message. And, and Jesus never once threatened anybody with the fires of hell goes to you, boy, if you don't believe. He doesn't do that. In fact, the Old Testament tells us it's God's kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. And repentance does not mean, oh, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. That's not the word repentance at all. Repentance literally means change your mind, change your opinion. If this is how you saw God, change it. Jesus is the repentance of God for us. He's the message. He's saying, you thought God was like this, but I'm telling you, he's nothing like that. I am the only one who knows the Father. No one in history has known him. They thought they did. They wrote stuff about it, but it was incomplete and through a glass darkly, fogged up, I remember this week I had my windows all frosted. I had to get out of there quick, so stupid me, turn my fan on. Whoops, now it's fogged up even more, but I'm still, I can, uh, I can just, there's no cars usually on this road. And, you know, that's kind of what the Old Testament's like when it shows the picture of God. But once in a while, there's a really clear spot. Oh my goodness, that's a beautiful picture of God, David. But other spots are all dark. You know, we don't get it. Don't tell anybody you fully get God, because I sure don't. You can't. Other denominations are sitting at the table of Christ. We're all at the same table, and we're bringing something to it. Each one brings value, tradition, and all of us have a mix of good, bad, where'd you get that from, and whoa, that's good, you know? Uh, this, we're full of that kind of stuff as we come together. Be careful. Be careful to come humbly, not with, I've got the answer for you guys. It's about time you had me join you. You're like, There's a lot of churches that do that, right? You know that. It, anyway, we'll leave that alone. <sighs> then the crowd responds. The crowd responds. When they heard this, they were crushed and realized what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved is not, doesn't even come close to what was going on emotionally. English language is really tough. They said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we need to do, brothers? Or, it means, we want in. Give us some direction. You can see how it can be taken the wrong way. Depending, depending on your translation. Don't stick to just one especially for really tough texts. Go to original languages if you can. What did the early church say about certain texts? Read. Don't just take what you're hearing in the last 10 years. Oh my goodness. It's been how many thousands of years? Oh, and we know so much better now. You know, we're far advanced than the early church, you know. We've got Greek translators. We've got, you know, better wine now. There's, there's you know, kind of the weak. We, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you think we know better, especially in the West. The North American mindset, often we think we're better than everyone else in the world. Don't kid yourself. I think we need to be exposed to the Eastern church more. Learn from them. They've been around longer. We need to understand the African church. They bring something. We need to understand the native world. 
They understand spirituality better than almost all of us and bring something to the table that us evangelicals can't, you know, no way, that can't be right. Well, hang on. Oh, I think it's more right than what we've been told. I think they have an awareness of spirituality, of what's going on in our world, the intertwinedness, the oneness of God in all of creation, holding all things together, we're interconnected, not just with the earth, but with each other. We don't have it all. We need to know the Asian church and how they see things, how they've come to hear the gospel. Through their culture, they, they hear it through their lens, and it's different. Let's stop being afraid of different. Let's stop doing, stop, nope, not listening anymore, but instead, help me understand. They're trying to understand. The people just heard they crucified Jesus. They just heard good news. They just heard the prophecy has come true, the one they've been waiting for. What? He was here, we missed him, and we killed him? Oh, no. That's what happened here. Peter replied, Repent! <laughs> I wonder what kind of soapbox he had. What kind of stand was he on? Repent! And I, I promise it was not a downtown street preacher repent. The word repent in the Greek, it means to change the mind and direction of your life and to turn back to God, do a 180. Repent! Not a single word there but confess. Oh, by the way... <laughs> <laughs> the word confess doesn't mean what you think it means either. The word confess means to agree with. That's what the word literally means, to agree with. So when we confess to one another, we are agreeing with. When I confess to God my day and what I've done, Father, I confess, what I, especially if it was not good, say, Father, I confess what I did was inconsistent with my true identity. It's not who I really am. I also confess I'm forgiven. I agree. I agree with you. Thank you. And I believe it. it. It motivates direction change, behavioral change. That's what Peter's trying to say. Repent and turn to God. Each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one. Baptized. We downplay baptism. But baptism is a gift to you and I. It was a, back then especially, you were, you were declaring you're a Christian and the persecution coming for them was horrific. Here, eh, baptize, you know, spritz. That's great, you're done. You know, whatever you want. I've done it all. I've baptized people with sprinkling. I've baptized in full immersion. I even held one guy down until he really repented. You know, it was great. <laughs> that was in the Niagara River. Where I was just let go. <laughs> but there's a meaning in baptism that is a testimony to those around you. I and one who identifies with Christ. I have a young man here in the church who wants to get baptized this summer. He wouldn't let me, you know, take a chainsaw and cut a hole in the ice. He said, I'll wait, I'll wait. <laughs> so, but that's going to happen this summer or in June. And I will invite others who would like to get baptized. That includes those who are baptized as children and want to become baptized as an adult. Go for it. There are no rules. There are no rules. 
Were you baptized previously, but maybe you didn't mean a whole lot, but now you're coming to a brand new awakening? Get baptized. Why not? Think of it. It's a, it's, it's, there's something special, something tangible, mystical that happens when we participate in that act of baptism because it is a picture of identifying, confessing, I agree with God that I have died going down with Christ and I'm now raised with Christ. I'm one with Christ. That's the confession of baptism. <laughs> I confess. important. The early church said this is the first step. Pretty cool. The step does not make you more of a Christian. The step is a declaration of who you identify with. It's very different. You can't do stuff to become more holy. You already are. You can't get more holy. An oak tree doesn't get more oakier as it gets older. It's an oak tree. All the way, right? You're one with Christ. You're a saint. You're holy. You can't get more holy. <laughs> but you can awaken to a greater awareness of your holiness. Go, whoa! It's incredible. Repent. In the name of Jesus, the anointed one. This was probably likely spoken from one commentator writes, this, is what, this sermon is likely spoken from the steps of the temple. And below them were dozens of mikveh's, M-I-K-V-E-H. Not mikveh, but mikveh. <laughs> it was funny. But there were immersion pools there, used for ceremonial cleansing of the Jewish worshipers. Probably right there in sight. This is a probably, okay? Peter was pointing to the cleansing that comes through the name and authority of Jesus Christ instead of the water. The Aramaic is startling. It says, be immersed in the name of Lord Yahweh Yeshua. Peter is clearly saying that Lord Yahweh and Jesus are one and the same. <laughs> Gets him into a lot of trouble. It's coming up if you sneak peek ahead. To have your sins removed, I think it's not, he's not being theological here. He's talking about the experience, I believe. This is Mike's interpretation. Because everything else that has been proven from the cross, we are already forgiven. But the awareness to have the symbolic cleansing, symbolically, even though we are clean, it's important to remember that. You don't get forgiveness by getting dunked. You have forgiveness already. The dunking is a revelation of it. It's an expression of it. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families, for those yet to be born, or those who are far away, Gentiles, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. <laughs> That's pretty wild. God's promise is for you and your families. Here's an example. In the Old Testament, when they were doing their the two um, sheep thingy, where one gets sacrificed, the other one's sent off into the desert, and they... They uh, um, anoint the one that's going out to the desert, say the sins of God, all your sins are being taken away. They're, they're off in the desert. Do you remember that story? So all the Jews had to be in the city there, and, but did everybody in the city have to believe it was true in order for it to be true? Did everybody in that city have to believe it's true? 
in order for it to be true? No. Um, did everybody have to be present? What if you were a sheep herder and you had to take care of your sheep outside the city gates? Did it apply to you? Yes. Whether you cared or not. That's why they celebrated so much when that sheep was sent out into the wilderness. There go our sins! And then suddenly you get bumped by somebody. You jerk! Boom! Oh, a whole year to wait for forgiveness. That's what it was like. This is very different. You are now clean by what Christ has done and declared. Peter preached to them and warned them with these words, be rescued or escape or saved. Some translations say saved. But it doesn't just mean saved because what does the word saved mean? Anybody know? <clears throat> Greek word for saved? Sozo. Which means healed. If you want to start getting technical, that's a really great word study. Be rescued or escape or saved from the wayward and perverse culture of this world because it was not reflecting Christ. Jesus came in with a very, very different attitude. Where's that communion one? Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. I think we're going to stop there. This is a sermon that God spoke through Peter. And there's a lot there to get. This is the beginning, the why people got together. Because they heard what had happened. They saw, heard, and believed. And what we're going to hear next, do I have time? Okay, one minute. I'll, I'll do this one next because it's kind of important. Um, those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. They were all baptized and added to the church. That's a serious baptism service. We got, there was 30 Iranians baptized uh, last summer and it took almost two hours. 3,000? Seriously? That's when you want the hose. <laughs> Done. You know? <laughs> That's where the Catholics are right. This is easy. So, 3,000. Does that mean every single person there was baptized and believed? No. But why would they know the number? Because somebody counted. Everybody's got a Maggie in the church. You know? <laughs> the numbers do matter. Not for the sake of pride. Look how big we are. Not at all. It's to encourage. Look. Look at the response. You're not alone. There are others who see and believe this too. Join. See? Very powerful. 3,000 believed. Now, Paul Anderson Walsh said this in one of his uh, uh, discussions on this chapter. He said, these people didn't go to church. They became the church. This is the birth of the church, the one you and I are part of. I know many of you uh, um, uh, don't come from Catholic backgrounds. Some of you do. Uh, I grew up Baptist, so we made fun of the Catholics, and anything Catholic was terrible. We threw snowballs at the kids as they walked to their Catholic school. We were going down to our public school. All that stuff. You know, like that's, that's the culture I grew up in. But did you know there's one church? And the word is called universal church. I know that word. Oh my goodness. Can't use that word in church. Yes, you can. The universal church. And do you know what the right word or a word used today for universal is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Catholic, you're part of it. You're Catholic. <laughs> you may not be Roman Catholic, but you're part of the universal. 
church of Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. And I declare that I identify with him today. And I want others to know this good news. I don't want people believing in some fear-mongering God who's ready to strike them down, who's unapproachable. Because the more I'm reading, I'm seeing a gooder God, <laughs> if I can say that. I'm seeing a God who is better than what we've been told. Uh, my picture of Jesus is getting better and bigger. So my question to you when you hear stories or descriptions of God, do they make him bigger and better or smaller and scarier? Well, that should be a great barometer. Because everything I'm reading now is showing a God who is for us, who did everything to pursue us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's while we were dead, he raised us to life. While we were blind, he did it. You had no choice in the matter. So now, what's your response? Believe! Believe this. It'll change your life. If you don't believe it, no value. Big deal, nice story. Next, when's lunch? You know, it, it does matter. You, you are called to believe. Believe it. There's so much emphasis on belief here. But not belief in order to be made something. You're called to believe what is already true. Believe the reconciliation that has already happened. And I didn't make this up. That's good news on a day like today. Heavenly Father, Awaken us to good news, the good news you've placed in us. The gospel means good news. I'm afraid that some of the stuff we've told the world is not good news. So, Father, bring us back to the gospel, the good news. And may it be infused in us and then flow out of us to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.